When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Price Picks is the easiest, the most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players... Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios, in the crap part of Soho, and Rog, pwah, from the crap part of Liverpool, I imagine, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. From the Titanic Hotel, Davo. That sounds ominous. <laughs> get out, get out before the band starts playing. Oh, it's actually very lovely. I am back in Liverpool, no finer city when the sun is shining. When's that going to happen? Uh, always tomorrow. The sun will come out tomorrow, mate. Do you want to know what I'm doing? What are you doing? Uh, I'm working on a remarkable project, which is quite an, a a challenge for old Rog. I'm working on a, a documentary about Liverpool Football Club's history and the dreams of Premier League title glory. Interesting time to be there. It is. I mean, I'm interviewing tons of amazing fans, tons of, of players. Verge, big Verge! Trent, uh, Jurgen Klopp, obviously. And I've got to say... The project is a reminder for me, as if I needed one, what an amazing history this club have. The golden years and the Bill Shankly and Bob Paisley, in which they won domestic trophies, European title after European title. I mean, it was like divine right. Icon after icon. You remember the days, David, one famous Liverpool player after another. I mean, how do you process that, though, as an Evertonian? Well, it's been borderline torture, I will say. Every interview I do is really the first like half hour when they're talking about Shankly and 77 winning the European Cup and 84 with Bruce Grobelar going spaghetti legs to win the European Cup. Uh, I find that borderline agony. And then the story turns and we get into Graham Souness taking over the club and, and and the quote, birds, booze and beamers off the field orgy and kind of stories. I like them a bit more. And then Hicks and Gillette dragging the club to its knees and the Stevie G slip, which I've got to admit is a, I mean, a human tragedy in its own dark right. I enjoy listening to that part a bit more. I was that the highlight so far, Dave, I interviewed a 104, 104 year old Liverpool super fan who was uh-huh. recently honoured by the club. And he, t- he talked about what it's been like to wait nearly a third of his life. An amazing man. Third of his life, he says, I've been waiting for a 19th title. And I, I want to say, being trash-talked about Everton by a centenarian was a strange and wonderful experience. It almost felt like an honour to be to have him talk crap to me. Oh, I love it. A centenarian. <laughs> That's a very difficult word to say. I just know it's not centurion. He could be a centurion. I'd love, I'd, I, I love the idea of you getting trash talked by a centurion. In Latin. In Latin. That'd be amazing. 
It is great to be back here in Britain. I do wish you and producer J-Dubs were with me here yeah. in Liverpool and Manchester. We could make, we can make amazing, we can make amazing content in these great cities. Speaking of that, the final episode of our digital travel series, Men in Blazers Visit Britain, goes live on all of our social media channels and our website, meninblazers.com, tomorrow. This is the recap of the entire trip, Rog, remember. More importantly, it chronicles all of the food that caused your cholesterol to briefly reach Big Sam levels. Oh, mate, 73% made of pie and eel products when I rolled myself out. It was a joy to make this Visit Britain series, a joy to share it. Your responses have been remarkable, GFOPs. The hundreds of you who have gone to Britain for a Premier League weekend of your own have thrilled us. And I, I, I reiterate, being here in Liverpool, this great city where I'm about to go out on the lash tonight, Davo, yep. makes me want to do the whole thing again. If you make it out of the Titanic Hotel. That's always a gamble, but I want to do it north of the wall with you this time, Davo. We are going to do Liverpool. We are going to do Manchester if it kills me. What have you got in your hands, mate? What have you got in your hands? Uh, Rog, in my hands, I possess the key to our future. I've got the sample. I brought it back to New York for you, failing to understand that you were in Liverpool, of our Malbec, Rog. Chateau Blazers. I'm holding it. Very excited for you to taste it. See if it reaches your Malbec standards. My, my standard, my, which my, frankly aren't I was that high. I my Malbec standards are. I need it to be wet and and, ve- and, yeah, ve- and, and red. vaguely red. I'll settle for not that red. Yeah. To be quite candid, David. What is our Malbec? Tell me the story of that. When you said what I have in my hands, my first thought was. No, I don't want to know. I hope you've got Jordan Pickford's penis made of gold. But, <laughs> no, uh, made of gold? <laughs> um, but I'll settle. I'll settle for our Malbec. This is one Malbec. I'm, I'm, I'm working with various negociants, various wineries, uh, various estates right now to find the right Malbec. This is one I think is pretty good, and I'm going to have you taste it uh, when you come back. But I don't want to get too much into the story until we pick the Malbec that will be Chateau Blazers that we will be uh, taking out. We might do two. We might do a Chateau Devo and a Chateau Rog. Rog. I like my Malbec musty, Robbie musty. Do I, when we have our own Malbec, does that mean I have to spend at least a third of my day with my pants rolled up, squashing grapes with my bare feet? If you want, Rog, I'm sure we can get you a job at the uh, at Chateau Blazers winery at the vineyard. Oh, daddy um, wants, I prefer daddy you for some, some reason. I'd like you to be in sort of a cranberry bog doing that same thing i think that would be more appropriate making oh. me my cran apple juice <laughs> I it's a life ambition of mine to work on your cran apple david okay rog we've got a packed show we're going to recap a change atop the table after a passion fueled merseyside derby that was sure caused you to pee your pants just a little rog and talking <laughs> of peeing one's pants we head to north london to talk a 1-1 draw between arsenal and spurs incident free mainly all that plus ole gunner solskjaer does it again seeing his side brandish a late winner in a thriller over Southampton. Let's go to the football, Rog. Oh, Davo, in my hands, I have an English bud, which tastes just like an American bud. Wow. But it's a little more aspirational, because I remember as a kid drinking English Budweiser and looking at the label and just yearning to move my heart, my soul, my body to America. So I want to raise my fifth first English bud of the day in toast to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Oh, as many of you know, my interview with him aired last Sunday on NBCSN. The response has been, it's been lovely. It's been brilliant, to be candid. Even though I am in it, this film is really, really riveting. And what I love about Ole is his modesty, his humility, and the life lessons of his story, which to me totally transcend football. They're really 
about leadership and about an approach to life. His killer quote is, what I do, he says, I am just being me. That's what I've always been as a player, a manager, as a dad. I'm good at a few things. I try to hide the things I'm bad at by having complimentary staff around me. You get found out if you try and be someone else. So I raise my Bud fan blood fam. Oh, I raise my glass to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his words, which are words to live by. Fantastic, Rog. I'm going to raise my first bud of the day. I don't usually do this, but I make a toast because I met a wonderful GFOP this weekend. Uh, to Chad, who works at the uh, W South Beach in Miami. It was my birthday weekend, Roger. Went down, got some, bagged some rays in Miami, was definitely channeling uh, Miami Vice, Don Johnson, Rog. But uh, I was walking, getting my beach chair set up on Sunday, and this lovely guy said, oh, where are you from? And I said, I'm, I'm from London originally. He goes, oh, who's your team? Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea. I go, you got me. And he goes, I'm a Palace fan. I go, oh, excellent. And as he turns around, he's doing all this as he's walking ahead of me on the beach. Then he turns around and he says, you know, you look mildly like a guy I watch on television sometimes. <laughs> Rog. Yeah. <laughs> to which I said, I said, I might be that person. And he just couldn't have been lovelier. We spoke about football, spoke about Palace, oh. um, his delight in their weekend, which we'll talk about later. So cheers to all GFOPs, particularly Chad this weekend, working in the heat uh, on Miami Beach. Dave, I had a great GFOP encounter this morning at Manchester Airport at about <laughs> six o'clock this morning when my plane landed. And a beautiful bloke came up to me, a Chelsea fan, who was coming from Virginia, Richmond, Virginia. He was headed for York. He works in pesticides and pestilent reduction. And he was flying in for reasons he tried to explain to me, but I couldn't quite understand. And all I can think of, you know who you are, pestilence reduction, Richmond, Virginia, Chelsea fan, who has gone to York. Because if they're flying in American pestilence experts, whatever rodents you are trying to track down, trap or kill must be absolutely bloody ginormous godspeed <laughs> absolutely uh, rog, uh talking of rodents everton nil liverpool nil rog the truck stop energy drink of football games and absolutely crackling goodison inspired passion fueled everton against their cross stanley park rivals that passion combined with some terrific saves and tiny little jordan pickford was enough to hold jürgen klopp's mob to a draw meaning liverpool end the round a point behind man city rog but we're sure you were nice and calm ahead of this one. Yeah, I mean, can, we, can I start with my mood pre-kickoff, David? Yeah, we often do. I, I, I and it's often the same. I felt a darkness. <laughs> I really? Think, what a yeah. shock. I, I felt such a sense of incapacitating doom, of just helplessness. I, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't touch. I couldn't sense any kind of positive outcome. I put my kids to bed the night before the game, and my daughter... Zion, who is so fearless, she's so optimistic in life, she gave me a kiss and she said, don't worry, Dad, it's going to be great tomorrow. And I said, is it? She goes, yeah, Everton will get a draw. Even, even she couldn't dream of anything better. Even she couldn't conceive the most positive human being in the world than a bloody draw, David. I mean, that was, that was about as good as it could have got. And, and, and really, she was right. There's so much pain still from the knowledge that Liverpool's victory back in December, the, the Origi shoulder that broke us, that shattered our hopes, that ended our season, our belief, our trust, sent us spiralling into nothingness. My brother Nige, who you know. Liverpool fan. Liverpool season ticket holder. Amazing man. Oh, he's a wonderful boy. But he said, he said to me before the game, he said, uh, I was like, I'm stressed, the darkness, doom, helplessness. He said, ah. 
it's not that big a deal. He said, this is for us, for Liverpool. This is no bigger than when we played Burnley or Brighton, was what he said. Uh, he said, I know it feels like a Champions League game for you, Everton lot. I mean, words hurt, words hurt. But but it's true, Dave. I mean, when you have not won any of the last 18 Merseyside derbies in all comps, the worst ever run in the fixture, I couldn't even compute these feelings of inferiority. You can't even understand what I'm talking about, can you, inferiority, David? I understand the words that are put together. I vaguely understand the <laughs> sentences, but the sentiments that they evoke are just leaving me essentially cold and sort of distant. <sighs> Bleakness, nihilism. And, and despite that, there was an incredible atmosphere at kickoff. Just a rocking Goodison Park. And that was my last real cogent memory because the game itself, it was less like watching a game. It was more like having a bender. I don't know if you've ever had a game like it. I remember moments of the game, Davo. I'm not quite sure exactly what did happen, what didn't happen. Uh, I've got large blackout spells, which I don't remember at all. Do, do I, it was like a night out with Charles Bukowski. I mean, did, have I'm you also thinking that, that, that you were basically describing most of my <laughs> nights out recently. <laughs> so what do you remember? Everton, they had a bright start. Coming into this game, approaching it with, with slightly more of a Liverpool perspective, despite Nigel's words, this is a team who are coming in not in the greatest form. It's definitely been squeaky bum time. You know, since the turn of the year, you know, that loss to Man City, their first game of the year, a narrow win against Brighton, the other Everton, uh, that sort of very close win uh, over, over Palace. And then these draws, Rog, against Leicester. Yeah, brief win against Bournemouth where we said everything's going to be okay. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Then the draw with Man United. Then suddenly the smashing win against Watford. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. We're but oh, from a Liverpool perspective, I don't believe you, brother. I think that this, they look down at the fixture list and they think, oh no, Everton. This is the worst of all the teams for us to have to go and play now when we desperately need a win and it's Everton. But they always, they always find a way to do us. And when Everton began so brightly, with optimism, with energy, I was like, don't do it, lads, it's a trap. It's a trap. It's like placing a noose around our own neck. We were frantic. Liverpool, even when they were on the back foot, seemed composed. Everton were all adrenaline. Liverpool had ideas. And we know what happens when adrenaline burns off. Ugh, ideas. Ugh. Yeah, goddamn ideas. There's no place for ideas. And Everton doing well was an agony to watch. I did. I died more deaths than Natasha Leon and Russian Doll. <laughs> and then Everton kind of just phased into this odd period where we pounded the ball forward straight to Virge, to Virgil or to Matip or just decided instead to cough the ball up in the middle of the park Liverpool began to dominate Schneiderlin oh, just gave the ball to Fabinho to slip Salah through one on one he opened up his body, I crapped my pants, I evacuated uh, myself involuntarily this was the Egyptian <laughs> king Davo. Yeah. I, I quit. What happened? Little, little, I mean, tiny little dinosaur hands and his beautiful penis made of gold. What Jordan happened? Pickford. Gold. I mean, what happened? He's, what happened? he's a good keeper. He's the inch for inch, pound for pound. He's got to be the best <laughs> keeper in the world. That's not fair, though. There's not that many inches. So it's really an unfair fight. It's more to me. I mean, his little dinosaur hands, so strong, slapping that ball away. It's more what has happened to Salah. One goal in his last seven. Is he crumbling only in our minds because of the high standards he set last year? Or is there a tentative kind of second guessing that's crept into his game? 
I mean, I also think, I mean, this is complete, you know, conjecture, but I sort of feel like the diving thing might have got to him. Remember, he was just, you know, a, a, a human being without reproach, like a, you know, he was a saint, like everything, cuddly, everything nice about him. And the first crack for me, you know, and even like obviously the injury that sort of the, you know, the, 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 the Ramos tackle and the, or the challenge rather that, you know, incapacitated him before the World Cup, you know, it was all of our sympathies were towards Mo Salah and the, the diving scandals this year, which have played much bigger in Britain, frankly, than over here in the United States. I think that's the first time sort of you sort of felt like it was unsettling him a little. Yeah, there's something that's gone on. You see when he pulls his foot back, there's, there's many ideas in his mind, whereas last season it was just intuitive. It was just natural. It was all muscle memory. And my God, it, with that reprieve, I took a deep breath. And for a second, I wondered what were Manchester City fans experiencing being Everton supporters for one day? I wondered whether it reminded them of cheering for the hoopless City sides of old, to which many GFOPs, including at T-Dub, tweeted, Rog, most American Man City fans don't know City sides of old. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the second half, Liverpool again didn't really create the chances you'd expect. Salah again one-on-one with Pickford. Oh, but that extra second to overthink, allowing Michael Keane to momentarily resurrect his footballing career and execute an amazing cover tackle. And the game ended with Everton in the ascendancy. We started to create chances. Rich Arlison snatched at a header. Jenk Tosin, who'd just come on a minute earlier, and I would have subbed him right back off after he shanked to the chance in a box. Yeah. My kingdom for a good finisher. What were you shocked at Manchester City with their total disregard, their blatant disregard? of financial fair play or fair play of virtually any kind. How did they not work out a way to loan Everton, Aguero and Raz just for one game? Yeah, no, or or get them Royston Drenthley back. (laughs) That's who I was cheering for. That's who I was screaming to come off the bench. Oh, him and Dennis Strack, it would have been, it could have been three or four nil. I was just like ricocheting between hope and desolation. I stood for the last 10 minutes, an inch away from a television set, a screaming man, just like aware that, there could be wonder, but that this game, five derby losses after the 90th minute, late, late goals, always, I've seen this movie before, Dave, and it always has the darkest ending. Yeah, it's like, keep, a, keep an eye on Origi's shoulder. Keep an eye on his shoulder. <laughs> You've got to mark his shoulder. When they subbed him off, I started crying. Honestly, I thought this could be our day, because this was a different Liverpool, Dave, wasn't it? I mean... Uh, Jurgen Klopp, careful, risk-free in his substitutions. I realised they weren't just battling Everton in this game. And I may be reading in a little much. You'd sometimes tell me I'm a bit hyperbolic. Sometimes, yes, I'm guilty of projecting. But I realised they weren't just playing Everton. It was the demons. They were playing the past, the title pressure, the sound of Manchester City's hooves, the Stevie G slip, the haunting sting of 29 long years. Am I imagining that? I think that here's where you may be overstating a little bit, is that every <laughs> title campaign is incredibly tough. They're in a title race, and they have been in a title race this entire, you know, back half of the season. It's a, it is, it is tense. We are, you know, what, 29 games into the league season, and this is a team that's tiring. You know, the, the league campaign... The, the English football season, the European football season, is designed to find you out in the late stretches. So a lot of this is completely natural. It's completely natural. It is really, really hard to win a Premier League, which is why 
Only one of 20 teams does it. And it's why so few teams, so few teams since the league was established almost 30 years ago, have managed to win a Premier League title. It's an ultra marathon. It is an ultra marathon. And we find out who does not mind the stinger runner's nipple, but runs harder when they get it. And I will say in this game, Liverpool should have won. They should have won. And I think they feel the fans, are, apart from their tentativeness in key moments, they would have taken this. And that they did not. We'll focus on Everton for a second. Felt like a massive win for Everton. I want to be clear. My feeling at the final whistle, it wasn't Schadenfreude. I did not. I did not pump the air and say, yes, we lost Liverpool their lead in the Premier League. I didn't feel that. I don't feel that. To me, the joy I felt, which was copious, pathetically copious, was all about Everton. I mean, just the dark reality for Everton over past three seasons, if you've not been listening to me pathetically, week in, week out, so many false starts, new regimes. Um, I, I thought Everton's achievement in this game was not crapping it up, showing resilience, showing some spine, some ideas, occasional confidence in our own ability to see Goodison rock again. And I did. I felt a joy level. I imagine I will only feel after this 0-0 draw uh, when America win the World Cup in 2026. That is what how bad life is at the moment. I, we are the Frank Stallone to Liverpool Sylvester. We are. We, we, who's heard of Joey Travolta? No one. Liverpool are John. We are the, the Auburn to Liverpool's Alabama always losing in the Iron Bowl. We are just the less successful brother with yearnings, David. Yeah, I, 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 I'm going to find it very hard to disagree. <laughs> it's pathetic. Yeah. It's pathetic. I mean, by the way, Rory Smith, I do want to say, wrote a great article in the New York Times about how remarkable the work Everton does in the community, deep in the community, in poverty in urban areas, in education. It's all true. They are an amazing club, an amazing club everywhere, but on the field. And that Rob Newland summed it up. He said, Rog, if Everton played with this intensity every week, they could rise as high as eighth in the table, maybe even seventh. <laughs> yeah, you never know. You never know, Rog. Liverpool, though, Dave, four draws in six games, failing to score in two of the last three uh, Premier League games. Are they... Bottling it in English parlance, Davo choking in America. No, I think they're in a title race and the best team will win the Premier League this year and they've got to prove that they're the best team. They're going to have to prove on the way in that they are better than City. They're going to have to prove that they're more than a point better because they're behind on goal difference. They're going to have to gain two points on City, one assumes, over the remaining single-digit number of games this season. It's going to be an amazing run-in, Rogers. I think the thing I'd be concerned about if I were a Liverpool fan, but there's a positive way to look at it too, is this this performance was not just about a lack of offensive, you know, synchronicity. You know, it wasn't just that they weren't offensively firing on all cylinders. They allowed Everton to play. They really allowed Everton to play football. Everton, you know, credit to them. They found a way to get the ball, get their foot on the ball, get some possession, you know, create some chances. It was the, the lack of that press, you know, that stifling Liverpool press that even when they haven't been playing well, they've been able to s prevent other teams from really playing football. And I think that was a little absent. And I think it's an easier way to get back. Here's the positive. I think it's much easier to get back on the front foot by focusing on the defensive side of the ball and focusing on the press, focusing on that energy, focusing on, you know, not letting your opponents play. The offensive stuff will take care of yourself. You know, eventually you know, the ball will start finding its way into the bottom of the net. 
But that was the remarkable thing about this game for me. Yeah, I mean, Jurgen Klopp was keen to deflect from his side's sudden kind of tentativeness in front of goal, choosing instead to blame the, quote, wind, which was coming from all directions. I was with Steve McManaman today. He pinpointed the midfield that there's just not that creative edge when it's needed. And no matter how Klopp shuffles uh, that Liverpool midfield three, he's not conjuring the lockpick. Uh, that they've had in seasons past. And I'll also say it remains to be seen if there's a psychological difference for Liverpool now. Now they're second, the chasers, rather than the leaders of the pack. I'm in this odd situation, as we'll talk when we finish off the City game, of being the Everton fan amongst Liverpool players, stars, fans, icons. I'm the one that's most optimistic for Liverpool. I think there's much much more of this season to come to Manchester City. Yeah, we should say Steve McManaman, one of the Liverpool greats, a certainly a man who would know one of the great uh, wingers in the history of that club. OK, Bournemouth, nil. Manchester City, one. City get their second straight 1-0 win thanks to a 55th-minute goal from substitute Riyad Mahrez. That's an amazing sub to bring off the bench. <laughs> who came on for an injured, notorious KDB. City managed to win despite just 82% possession and only 23 shots, Rog. Bournemouth had zero shots... Oh, the most dominant 1-0 win of all time. A fifth straight league victory for Manchester City, who had so much of the ball. In this one, Mares, as you mentioned, was the hero. A boon in a faltering season. His first goal in three months after good play from the sprightly Zinchenko and never-ball David Silva. Dark side, though. Kevin De Bruyne's injury is going to be out for an unknown time with a muscular strain. His latest challenge in a season in which he's already missed, this is astonishing, 20 games through injury. It's doubly astonishing. We are lesser for not getting to watch him play week in, week out. But the loss of KDB, it's the kind of devastation that would scupper any other club's challenge. But it's just kind of a ginger speed bump for the lavish Manchester City squad, David. Because they look down the bench and they see Riyad Mahrez. You know? <laughs> and by the way, he's not the only person who can come on to replace him. Yeah, and he's also not the only player that's injured. Laporte is out. There's a squad worth of left-backs uh, who are on the sideline. Here's where we are, Davo, and this is amazing to me. Man City have lost three more games than Liverpool, but are ahead of them. Two points. Draws are killers, people. Don't do them. I think there's plenty more life in this title race. Twists, turns. You know, we, we, we're talking now as if, City are cyborgs again, that they're going to close out. But it wasn't so long ago that City had their losing spell and then City had their constipated spell where they really weren't scoring goals. I think there's many more personas left for both Liverpool and Manchester City before we reach the end of the season, right? No, absolutely. And Man City aren't crushing opponents right now. You know, they're having a lot of very close games. And I find it all the time. You're watching games and you're looking up at the scores and you're realising, wow, it's still nil-nil. Man City still on ahead here. Liverpool have an easier run-in when you look at the schedule to come. More home games, Manchester City. Everyone is looking at the vaunted four days in April in which they play Manchester United and then Tottenham Hotspur. And around the same time, Liverpool have to play teams managed by two old boys, Rafa Benitez and Brendan Rodgers. Do not, please do not call this title race for City just yet. Uh, One team who may be out of the title race, though, Rodgers, Tottenham. Tottenham won, Arsenal won. It was a top four clash with massive St. Totteringham's Day implications. In the 16th minute, Juventus bound Welshman Aaron Ramsey capitalised on a Spurs defensive error to coolly put Arsenal ahead. But in the 73rd minute, with Spurs on the brink of a third straight defeat, 
Harry Kane drew and converted a penalty to level the score in the 91st minute. Referee Anthony Taylor awarded another penalty, <laughs> this time to Arsenal. It was a weird award, that one. But substitute Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang saw his timid effort saved by Hugo Lloris. It ends 1-1. Spurs stay third. Arsenal slip into fifth. And Chelsea have got a game in hand coming up behind them. Yeah, the game began with Arsenal fans howling. It ended with Arsenal fans howling, but for two different reasons. Unai Emery's Arsenal team selection, five changes, no Aubameyang. Um, but it proved to be an inspired high-risk decision. It was a game with massive top four play stakes and a proper tasty derby uh, atmosphere and, and opening. Tackles, tempo, hand-to-hand battle for space, all passion, little quality. Arsenal propelled by the excellent Mkhitaryan. They really targeted Spurs' biggest tactical weakness right now, Dave, which is that they just seem exhausted. You know, not as much squad rotation as, you know, all of their competitors other than Chelsea, probably. And they do look leggy. Yeah, they look shattered, depleted with injuries, no new fresh blood. Pochettino's relentless training uh, regimen definitely taking its toll. And the Arsenal goal, it was remarkable. One second Kane had the ball in the Arsenal area. Spurs crowd holds their breath, expecting a goal, and they got one. As Kane fell over, the ball was spat up the other end by Lacazette. Davinson Sanchez blundered, leaving Ramsey, the oddly dispensable legend, to charge on with a whole half of empty space ahead of him. So much time, almost too much time, and score. Cute, complex, mood swing emotion. But Spurs, they're tenacious. They kept coming. And they have a player who just... He's not like the other children, Rog, Harry Kane. Not gifted with speed. He doesn't seem to be gifted with amazing technique until he unfurls it. You know, often you don't see it in live action. Then you watch the replay and you just can't believe how much space he manages to create for himself. And he keeps on moving forward. He's always moving forward. He's always posing a threat. He's always trying to uh, make a run on goal. And that's how he won his penalty. Yeah, I mean, I will say, watching him in this game, Arsenal did play him about as well as you can. They... They, they, his forward charges were smothered by two, three defenders. Watching Socrates completely smother him physically, it was honestly soul-destroying. But then, when Mustafi marked him, he did so in a Mustafi-esque way, which is clumsy. Yes, Kane was offside, but who's better at getting offside penalties than Harry Kane? He trains at getting offside penalties. And then Poch... Rolled the dice, flinging on every single healthy attacker he could. And Llorente. Arsenal fans were screaming about referee anti-Taylor. He's the worst. He's the worst ever. And suddenly, they liked him a bit more after he awarded, was it the softest penalty of all time in the 89th minute? Well, there was certainly no contact. <laughs> so, in that way, <laughs> is, you know, it, it was a version of no contact. So, well, anyway, Aubameyang missed. We didn't miss it. It was saved by Hugo Lloris. Oh, ball, don't lie. And then Vertonghen. Super Jan with a warrior clearance. Yes, born of encroachment during the kick. But oh, for Spurs, my God, how they needed that. Just a, I will say, a third loss on the trot would have just been devastating. This amazingly was their first draw in 28 games. RIP the undrawable season. I have felt an incredible empathy for Spurs fans and their supporters. There's so much to admire about them. You do feel, for all their endeavour, for all their courage, the end of this season title challenge, starting to feel Sisyphean. Oh, but Arsenal, Arsenal, should they feel aggrieved, Dave, but for some dodgy refereeing, would they have won? They had 
a real chance to win it as a result of some dodgy refereeing with the penalty. These are the matches you've got to go and win, frankly. There's a real race for third. There's a real race <laughs> for the Champions League uh, trophies, Rog, for Arsenal. I think that they needed to go and win this all by themselves. I felt for poor Aaron Ramsey on the bench at the end, his last North London derby, denied the chance to be a hero, just left banging his head on the seat in front of him. A beautiful bloke at Kevin Davis summed up the opinion of so many GFOP Arsenal fans when he said, we got robbed and we blew it at the same time, which is so <laughs> Arsenal. <laughs> OK, Rog, Man United 3, Southampton 2, a goal of the season competition truncated into just 90 minutes. The Saints jumped out to a 1-0 first half lead when the Zootons, Muse, Jan, Valerie went top bins with a major laser. But United stormed back in the second half with Andreas Pereira lashing one past Angus Gunn in the 53rd minute and Romelu Lukaku... Suddenly, he's finding form, adding a second six minutes later. To their credit, the Saints didn't wilt 15 minutes from time. The football hipster pick for Young Player of the Year for the last 17 years running, James Ward-Prowse, leveled the score with a blistering free kick. But with just two minutes left, Lukaku slotted home his fourth goal in the last two games to win it. United have 10 wins in 12 league games under OGS. They move back into the top four. Oh, Ole Gunnar Soskos, magnificent, excellent adventure continues. GFOP at Shanda Arch LLC tweeted, it's cool stepdad in charge now, cookies for breakfast. It's amazing. Since his December arrival, he's won 32 points, five more than any other club. It's magnificent to watch Old Trafford roar again, as it did in this game, a wonder goal. Southampton plucky, organised. Stunning goals. Jan Valery to beat David De Gea from almost 40 yards. A wolf, bloody blitzer. Same with James Ward-Prowse. Also credit to their back line. Vestergaard and Hoybier were just giants at the back. Ultimately, oh, all it needed for United to get back into the fight was for dog-loving piano tinkler Alexis to limp off. Now he's out injured uh, for the next couple of weeks. But Pereira, oh, first goal for the club. It was a beauty. And when United needed a winner, they got one, Dave. Romelu Lukaku, what's going on? Two great finishes. He's back. Do you know what it is? Competition for places. Rashford has pushed him. Rashford has pushed him. And it's a good thing. God love him, Big Rom. When I read a headline this week in the tabloids, Lukaku vows to help United through its injury crisis. I will admit, I laughed that kind of horrible that snorting English laugh at someone else's potential failure. So Godspeed to him. After a solid game against Liverpool, a double against Palace, now two massive goals. Ole's got even him scoring freely. you got the flickers of confidence returning. His 12th of the season. 12 games unbeaten in the league since Solskjaer returned. And I'll admit, I was relieved watching him come from behind, as they used to in the days under Sir Alex, just to prove, with my show running on Sunday, that there is no curse of Rog. Well, I don't believe that, Rog, but it's okay for you to think that just for today. <laughs> Fulham 1, Chelsea 2, a West London derby with so many dysfunctional storylines. It deserved a Bravo special hosted by my dear friend Andy Cohen. All three goals came between the 20th and 31st minutes with a wayward sideways pass from Jorginho, disguised as an emphatic finish, proving the difference. Chelsea and lame duck manager Maurizio Sarri are still in sixth. Fulham and new caretaker manager Scott Parker still in 19th, but they played well in this one. They deserved something out of this game. 
Yeah, harder work than it should have been, but job done for your lads. You didn't get the Ruben Loftus cheat goal you wanted for your birthday, David. That's what I wanted. All I wanted was a Ruben Loftus cheat goal. You have to settle for Jorginho. Even Jorginho scored. Yeah, not my fave. Are you pleased with the handling of the Kepper incident? Partially surprised it didn't become a bigger distraction. I don't think that the Kepper issue was handled at all. Anybody <laughs> who's who's followed Chelsea Football Club for the past. 20 years will recognize this it's just a series of sort of you know non-decisions followed by you know uh make-up decisions and somehow it worked <laughs> out for them and Kepa this was his performance of the season that was the remarkable thing his performance of the season they really needed him badly on this day because Chelsea were just playing horrible football uh just down the road in Fulham wow. when the Fulham fans were singing there's only one team in Fulham I'm sort of agreeing <laughs> with them it was like a Fulham really we're playing the much better football for large, large parts of the game. You know what I admire about Chelsea, though? They, they are, their regenerative powers are astonishing. I mean, there are few squads. No one in football is better at redeeming themselves with a tenacious performance after completely undermining a manager than Chelsea. I mean, no one's had more practice. No one's had more practice. <laughs> yeah. but most teams would fall apart with the chaos, Dado. J-Dubs told me Chelsea just seemed to absorb the life force of their humiliated leader and become stronger. <laughs> That's so true. It is. They are, like, they are like the bad guys in a sci-fi movie. They're really good at it. Farewell, though, for Fulham. Claudio Ranieri sacked after just three wins in 17 games. My stats, and I, I found this stat out myself. Doing stats now, Dave. Rod's doing stats. We need a sting for that. Fulham have had just one less manager, three, than they have wins for this season. Which oh. is amazing. <laughs> Rog does stats. Yeah! Poor old Ranieri. He didn't even get Bocelli over. No, he didn't even get bloody Hootie and the Bluefish even. It was just a forgettable coda for him. He'll be remembered for his Leicester wonder. This was like, I guess, his version of Chinese Democracy by Guns N' Roses as a comeback album. we got Scott Parker, though, Dave, a legend as a player. Temporary manager in a dark hour of need, the poor man's Ole. And there is a darkness at Fulham where they're already talking about restructuring for life back in the muck of the championship. West Ham 2, Newcastle 0, a header from potential England call up. Young Declan Rice, who's switching over from Ireland, and a Mark Noble penalty lift the Hammers into ninth place. Newcastle slipped to 14th, but remained six points from the drop, Rog. Yeah, this wasn't Almiron's best game, Miggy Almiron. He couldn't find his rhythm. He was a non-factor and was completely overrun by West Ham's excellent Felipe Anderson. But it has been amazing watching Atlanta United's Miguel Almiron change Newcastle over the past couple of games. I mean, when he's on, they are free-flowing. They are confident. They are a joy to behold. And what has been fascinating, number one, I think if Newcastle come in for Atlanta United, Joseph Martinez, they're going to win the league. Number two, how much Newcastle United fans adore him already. At Gallo Gate Shots had the best description of Miggy Almiron's play when he tweeted, Almiron is like a toddler full of skittles and fruit shoots being let run wild in a play area. <laughs> but what is amazing, Dave and he loves it there, Almiron. I love this quote to the local paper. He said, when you go to England for the first time, you're impressed by anything, even by a falling leaf. What a beautiful, <laughs> what a beautiful soul. Just the thought of him off the training field, just looking at leaves falling. But what's been amazing, Davo, is watching Atlanta United's fans' reactions to him playing, just how they are immediately bonded 
to Newcastle, the number of Toon jerseys people in Atlanta have sent us with Almiron's name on the back, the number of Atlanta jerseys that are being photographed by the Newcastle local paper at St. James's Park. In the past, we always thought common wisdom was to get the American hearts and minds, to get your chunk of the American viewing public, you have to sign a, a Landon Donovan, a Michael Bradley, an American-born and bred player. Now, and this is going to lead to more South Americans being brought via the route of MLS, is if you sign a truly great player who is thrilled in MLS fan base, American hearts and minds will follow, which is, I mean, it's like, I guess, college fans cheering for a college star once he goes into the NBA or the NFL. It's really... Um, it's really a next level dynamic. That really is the most proto Northern England illustration, though, Rog, that there are leaves falling off the trees just as they've gone onto them in March. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I don't know that spring happens that early up in the north. Down in London, there are already leaves on the trees uh, by the beginning of March, just starting to come. Up north, they're probably there, but the leaves are still falling. That's amazing. Mickey probably just thought they were leaves falling. They were probably bricks just falling on leaves off a building. Yeah, yeah it was a Snickers wrapper. <laughs> <laughs> Burnley won Crystal Palace 3 an emphatic Palace win Rog thanks to some very predictable scorers Chad uh, on the beach at the Miami Beach W was very happy about this one Wilfred Zaha bats Rog bats and Phil Bardsley who led things off by turning one into his own net Palace are up to 13th place 8 clear of the drop now yeah bats amazing bats UIE Palace now have a double threat Wilf Zaha no longer has to be a one-man team. Bats, two goals in his last three. Will, five in his last six. Palace fans again dreamy of what a next-level Palace team could look like, one that punches up. As a Chelsea fan, though, David, Bats must just seem as like another one who could have been part of our front line, but oddly was not. Well, totally. I mean, look, it's I love seeing him play for Palace. I love watching Ruben Loftus-Cheek play for Palace, and I think he came back a better player at Chelsea. Still couldn't get in the team, and I think it would be the same for Bats, so it's odd. It's now, honestly, I'm enjoying watching Chelsea players get chances to play at other teams, and I'm entirely happy if they stay. You know, you speak to Southampton fans, and they talk about the team that could have been if they hadn't sold them on. Your, your, your Chambers, your Shaw, your Lalana, your Oxlade-Chamberlain, your Gareth Bale. Chelsea have got the same team of longing, the only difference being they've just given them away. They've chucked them away. They didn't sell them. Think how many former Chelsea players we've name-checked in this in this podcast, not even talking about Chelsea. Lukaku, Mo Salah, KDB, now Bats. I mean, it's a mess. By the way, Scott Parker. Well, it's a slightly different situation. But it's like we've talked about so many Chelsea players. Oh, Ranieri, another former Chelsea manager. Chelsea is basically involved in almost every Premier League fixture every week. It's remarkable. They do a lot of good work for charity. And this is your annual Matt Miazga name check, America. Wolves 2, Cardiff City nil. Nuno's mob bounced back from that midweek loss to Huddersfield by repelling the Bluebirds from the black country. Wolves are currently in seventh, which will be good enough for European football if one of the Manchester teams wins the FA Cup. Cardiff, meanwhile, sit two points from safety. Is that relegation music we're starting to hear for Neil Warnock? Nine league games left for his plucky, overachieving, thin oh, squad. How they suffered. Four, though, are against Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United and Chelsea. Courage. Brighton won. Huddersfield nil. The Seagulls get their first league win of 2019 over bottom feeders Huddersfield. The difference, a goal from the symmetrical Romanian forehead of substitute <laughs> Florin Andonay. Brighton move into 15th, five points clear of the drop. Enormous goal, enormous celebrations, massive win to ease Brighton's 
Oh, growing relegation worries. And now with Burnley and Cardiff suddenly floundering, the good news is it looks like Glenn Murray will be Premier League for at least one more season. The best Murray since Chad Michael. Amazing. Watford 2, Leicester 1. The needle fell off Mark Morrison's return of the Brodge remix record <laughs> in the 92nd minute when Orn substitute Andre Gray beat Kasper Schmeichel to claim victory at Vicarage Road. But let's not let the defeat overshadow the fact the Brodge is back. Oh, yes, Dave. And the world's all the better for it, right? The Brendan Rogers sequel movie has begun. It's a bit like Spinal Tap if Spinal Tap was about football manager. And it all kicked off. Thank you, Premier League writers. Fittingly, where his management career had begun with Watford, Vicarage Road, a place he quit in 2009, just one week after professing his total commitment to the club. <laughs> I'll die for Watford. <laughs> I'll kill myself. I'll kill myself if I ever leave. Oh, by the way, I've got to go to Reading now. And it turned out to be a nightmare start for Brodge. A game, uh, my son said, that was like watching the entire Liverpool 2013-14 season in miniature, where everything looked really good until it fell apart. Oh, just devastatingly right at the last. Watford have now won three of the last four Premier League games. They stole this as Leicester imploded in the 92nd minute, savage for the Foxes, who are still adapting to their new manager's move to the back three and really deserve the point. It's going to take a bit of time. Let's give Brodge time to make his presence felt for good or for comedy with this young, fast-paced, soaked-in-potential Leicester squad. How happy are you, Davo, that Brodge is back? Oh, I mean... <laughs> I mean, look, I'm mean, a little sad that we lost Ranieri this week. Yeah. But honestly, as, as a trade, to get Brodge... I would lose 100 Ranieri's to get a Brodge back in the Premier League. I mean, it's making me... I just, I just hope he holds on until next season, Roger, honestly. Because <laughs> next season, we're just going all Brodge all the time. I'll kill myself for this stuff! I've had this bizarre thought. My instant reaction, I was quite surprised by. Obviously, I fist-pumped. I was like, thank you, God. Men in Blazers, season six will be all Brodge all the time. But how do you think Mike Dean feels about having another dueling alpha encroaching on his turf. Oh, it's, it's hard. It's, it's meant to be Mike Dean's league. He's probably made a complaint. <laughs> I mean, if ever two men were cut from the same deluded cloth, two men who look in the mirror and just see Bradley Cooper looking back at them every time. I've got to say, I do love this. This is like what I want to see happen. Vardy, Slabhead and the Brodge on the lash. In Leicester, is that a great night out or the greatest night out, David? Oh, I, I actually think it would be dreadful, but I'd want to be there, if you can understand that. <laughs> Who ends up with a tattoo on their face in the morning? Ranieri, probably. <laughs> OK, the She Believes Cup, Rog. Jill Ellis and the US Women's National Team have started the competition with two 2-2 two, two draws. First against Japan and then against England. That was a cracking match, though. They play Brazil tonight in Tampa, 8 p.m. Eastern time on FS1, a game that they must win if they have any chance of winning this tournament on their home soil, Rod. They also need a draw between England and Japan. Yeah, I don't think the results matter. It is curious times and a a curious and hopefully a good test for the American women. Results should not and are not the focus. To me, the thing is the quality of play. We always say... Don't read too much into friendlies. These are friendlies. 
But the U.S. women, they do look stilted in their attempts to play this expansive possession-based football, albeit missing the injured Lindsay Horan. And there seem to be so many cracks that can be exploited, uh, as England and Japan have shown. And this is the big takeaway that I've got. No one, no one fears the U.S. women. Every goal, every game in this World Cup is going to be a grinding fight. Nothing, nothing will be given. Nothing should be taken for granted. And these two games against Japan and England are a reminder, as if we needed one, the 2019 World Cup is going to be the most competitive, the deepest of all time. I can't wait. This is ironically the gift that the US women have given to the rest of the world is, is improving the rest of the world's football. And, you know, no team more than England has benefited from that. And England playing a lot of very, they're sort of like an old school US. They're like, you know, strong at the back, you know, dominant Physically, certainly up front. They've got some speed down the flanks. They play pretty good possession football uh, themselves. And you just feel like they've learned from the US. And it's one of the joys, I will say, of every trip home. The women's game, which has had no Title IX here to grow it and was marginal, marginal when we grew up, is now very much a fixture. Uh, and the excitement here for the oncoming World Cup is greater than I have ever seen it. it truly, It truly is going to be a World Cup that will be viewed by the world. Okay, your weekend looks like this. Saturday at 12.30pm Eastern Time. League leaders, Man City host Watford. Sunday at 8am, Liverpool host Burnley. That's followed by the game of the weekend, Roger. A massive clash in the race for the top four. Arsenal versus Man United at 12.30pm Eastern Time Sunday. All those games are on the NBC family of networks. Let's have a shot of Jägermeister, Rog, and see what's going to happen. Uh, English Jägermeister, which is my dad calls Sherry. Uh, I found a bottle in the in the Titanic. They do have a bottle of Jägermeister, and I'm about to have an English shot of Jägermeister. Hold on, what will it tell me? <laughs> oh, I feel alive. First of all, it tastes of shock. This Jägermeister. It tells me, oh, Arsenal. You'll like this, Arsenal fans. Are going to step up and earn some big boy points. They're going to do the hard miles. They're going to give Ole his first loss. A winner served by Revenge's best served cold Mkhitaryan. The reborn in the past couple of games, Mkhitaryan. Arsenal 1-0. The newly found United fan inside of me does not like that, David. Okay, Rog, here I go. Oh, that was lovely. Uh, My Jaeger, Rog, though, tastes of another draw. I see it ending 1-1 with Ober rebounding from that penalty miss and getting on the score sheet. Not from the spot, though. Uh, Again, it's not me. It's written in the stars and in the American Jägermeister, Rog. Okay, there are many ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which has transformed into the men and blazers ball mine. Anytime you buy some bigger sport from the ball mine, we get a tiny ten thousand dollars to produce additional of us. Having well. What are you putting in the ball mine this week? Roger. A book. Yeah. Oh, the Border by Don Winslow. The third weighty, meaty volume of a sprawling, bold trilogy, which is as chilling as it is timely. It's a huge book. It's Andy Carroll-sized. It's a big unit. It's immaculately researched. Don't let the size of it put you off. This book, 20 years in the making, tells in remarkable detail a story which sadly has become one of the biggest in American news headlines while the trilogy has been sprawling out. The drug trade in Mexico and the American war on drugs. Uh, in a barely fictional version of the rise of the Sinaloa drug cartel. It's like a great Coppola movie, this book. The whole story is epic, sprawling, spiraling, all the way from cartel haciendas in the hills to the White House 
And Winslow is such a great storyteller with his hard-boiled, muscular writing style, which always reminds me of Devo in the jib. He controls the complex threads. He writes epic scene after epic action scene. He mesmerizes. He challenges the reader. And the experience of reading this book is to have your breath constantly taken away, to be asked hard, dark, oh, but so real, so important questions, the questions of our age, which readers, we all need to confront. So please read this book, read this trilogy, the best three since Manet, Salah and Bobby Chompers, back when they were good. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I was good in the gym this morning, actually, Rog. Um, <laughs> so unconventional thing I'm going to put into the uh, board mark this week, Rog. I've just got a, it's a hotel I've been back to again and again and again, the W South Beach in Miami. This is not a paid endorsement. I don't get any kind of discount there whatsoever, I can assure you. But it's just a great hotel with a great pool, a great beach. You've got a GFOP basically getting your beach chair, getting your towels, Chad, shout out, courage, stay in charge. Um, <laughs> it is a, uh, it's got a nightclub, the wall, it's got excellent restaurants, it's got the Dutch, a fantastic uh, version of, of, of a sort of a crap part of Soho staple, the Dutch down there. It's just a magnificent, wonderful hotel. It's been open now, I think probably about 10 years, and it's standing the test of time. It's just really lasting. It's a classic. I love Miami, Rog. It is, you know, going to come back, you know, with Beck's new franchise. It's going to be the, uh, once again, this amazing center of American soccer culture. It's always been there. I just love it. The sports lead down there with highlights of Barcelona versus Real Madrid. Um, it's just a really interesting city, a very interesting time in the history of Miami. Everything you say about MLS, if it's going to import South American players, Central American players, you know, you think about Miami and, and what it could mean for the franchise down there. I love it down there. I love the W South Beach, Rog. Nice toiletries. By the way, great question. And the answer is excellent toiletries. I snuck several back on the plane. What would you look for in a, to- a hotel toiletry? Uh, small enough to uh, take back on the plane. So it's got to be like less than 3.4 fluid ounces. Um, I, li- I like a nice scent. I really enjoy a nice scent. Uh, but they have uh, products from Bliss, from the Bliss Spa in New York City. Uh, excellent products. Oh. Uh, I like a nice French savon is what <laughs> I'm looking for. As we stayed in the W in Atlanta, J-Dubs and I, yeah. um, a, a couple of weeks ago, did not love it as much as you love the one in Miami. We are, by the oh, way... That just killed that W to... endorsement deal that I was pitching for. <laughs> <We're>... <laughs> we had a great time. We had a great time. We're, we're headed back to Atlanta, J-Dubs and I, this weekend to watch the home game, see them raise the banner. I will say we can't wait to be back in Georgia. It's been so long, Dave. Three weeks about Waffle House. Too long. The devil went down to Georgia. You can follow us uh, on Twitter at Men and Blazers at Embassy Davies at Rog Bennett on Instagram at Men and Blazers at Embassy underscore Davies. Facebook Men and Blazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can email us at menandblazers at gmail.com. We wrote a book, Rog, Encyclopedia, Blazer Tanica. You, you maybe buy it for yourself, for your new football-loving friends. It's available at all good booksellers, including a website that rhymes with Amazon. Vendorpunk, Rog. Who wants the sex matumbo? Snacks. <laughs> Balls win. Balls win. Oh, take that, Gloria. Who? Balls lose. <laughs> the tweet. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight in America. Love you, Davo. Stay safe in Liverpool in the Titanic. Oh, Luke Perry. Oh, Rest in peace. Absolutely. Courage. Okay. Amazing. Good. Love you. Brilliant. Love you. Bye.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Okay, so if you had a time machine, how far mm-hmm. in time would you need to go back to be a dominant basketball player of that era? <laughs> I need to go to when Bob Cousy was playing. Back I in, would, in the plumber days? 27-year-old Shay would give Bob Cousy the f***ing business. <laughs> He's not guarding me. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the best. Each week, Shay and I are combing through all of the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling ones, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Six Trophies ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.